Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. Our discussion for this podcast series focuses on leadership topics within pharmacy practice, including the business of pharmacy, development of leadership skills, career transitions, and more. My name is Amy Lee. I'm a clinical staff pharmacist in the emergency department at Saratoga Hospital and a part-time informatics pharmacist at Columbia Memorial Hospital in New York. I will be your host today for the Pharmacy Leadership Podcast. With me today are Dr. Eric Brechtelsbauer, Assistant Director of Pharmacy at Emory Healthcare and Winship Cancer Institute. Eric's practice interests are hazardous drug safety, sterile compounding, pharmaceutical waste management, and regulatory accreditation compliance. We are also joined by Dr. Patty Roberts, an inpatient pharmacy manager at Cleveland Clinic Euclid Hospital. Patty's interests are regulatory accreditation compliance, sterile compounding, medication safety, and technician education and advancement. Can you both share a little bit more about your background and your practice site? Hi, Amy. My name is Patty Roberts. Thanks for introducing me. I have been the pharmacy manager at Cleveland Clinic Euclid Hospital for about three and a half years now. My hospital is 168 beds. It's a small community hospital within the larger Cleveland Clinic health system, and it is in Northeast Ohio near the main campus of Cleveland Clinic. We have about 30 people in our department. Half of them are pharmacists and half of them are technicians. I've been working with them for, as I said, 3.5 years. Prior to joining the team at Euclid and with Cleveland Clinic, I did an HSPA residency at University of North Carolina Medical Center in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm in a much smaller department at Cleveland Clinic Euclid Hospital. It does offer 24-7 pharmacy services. So that is where I glean my experiences from at this time. I look forward to sharing them with you as well as the ASHP podcast viewership. Hi, Amy. Hi, Patty. Uh, Thanks again for having me as well. Uh, My name is Eric Brechtelsbauer, and as you mentioned, I am the Assistant Director of Pharmacy um, at Emory Healthcare and the Winship Cancer Institute. My scope of practice is overseeing oncology and non-oncology infusion services um, at Emory Healthcare, and and we are a a large academic medical center here in Georgia, and we are the only NCI-designated comprehensive cancer center in the state. I've been with Emory for about four years, and my team consists of about 60 people, half pharmacists, half technicians, similar to Patty's. But we uh, span the city of Atlanta and the greater surrounding community over six different infusion locations. We've got about 250 uh, infusion chairs within the system, uh, and I oversee all of those sites. Prior to joining the team here at Emory, I completed an HSPAL residency at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you for joining us today, Patty and Eric. Let's get started on today's topic, practical strategies for improving staff engagement and daily communication. These days, many organizations engage in ongoing and routine employee satisfaction and engagement surveys. The goal of these are to measure employees' perception of their organization, their leadership, and their department. Can you share some suggestions to the podcast listeners on ways to continuously demonstrate support and commitment to your teams? What tactics have you used to create success in the area of staff engagement? Eric, can you start us off? Sure. Thanks, Amy. One of the tactics that you know, is, is, is nothing new, but I have found to, to really help create a lot of success with staff engagement 
is, is simply that concept of being present. And the way that I do that is, is through standard leader rounding. I mean, in, in my position, in a leadership position, you're always going to be very busy. You're always going to have that, you know, that never ending to-do list. You're going to have meetings, but ensuring that you save time to provide standard rounding for your teams is, is going to be critically important. And for me, that means making sure that I'm finding time to, you know, drive across the city of Atlanta and, and check in with my teams in person, you know, as I can and, and routinely. It provides me and my team an opportunity to just off the cuff have conversations. How, how are things going here? How's life? You know, what would make your life easier here at work? And oftentimes it's simple things like, you know, asking for dual screens for your computer or an additional workstation so that the technicians can have a place to catch up on emails and accomplish some of their duties. The key thing I want to emphasize with the standard leader rounding piece is that it's very important for myself to prioritize my team's requests. It's an opportunity for me to capture those quick wins to show that I'm committed to the commitments I make to my team. And it demonstrates my ability to, and to follow through quickly um, with the staff. You know, they, they oftentimes, they see the greater picture, the strategic projects that we work on as leaders. But what really I think matters most to them are the small things that we do to help make the quality of their work life better. The people are always gonna be our number one. Um, and so it's, it's really important to support your ability to walk around uh, and visit your, your teams to be able to gather that off the cuff and in the moment feedback. Those are great points, Eric. I agree with that presence with the teams. And in my department, it's smaller and not as spread out as Eric's responsibilities are. So I like to do that by having an open door policy as much as I can, being present in the department as much as I can as well. So when I don't have meetings that are necessary to have my door closed, I generally have my door open for people to come in and out and ask questions. But also I like to structure time and do routine one-on-ones so that we can close the door for topics and have that touch point that's just for that person. Because quieter people might not take the time to come into my door and ask me a question when it is open. Um, but I like to give time for everyone on the team and get to know them in their professional lives and how I can and help them and keep them engaged through some one-on-ones. So that's a, that's a tactic that I've used routinely over the past three and a half years. I agree that having that accessibility and visibility is very important for the frontline staff. I certainly appreciate it when my manager is around for me to ask questions or bring up concern in a reasonable time frame. Following up on the questions about the surveys, now that you've got the results and the feedback from the staff, how do you know if your staff is being totally honest with you with their responses? How can you tell if they are writing the truth on those surveys versus feeling frustrated about something, but deciding to brush it off and not wanting to speak up to you. Maybe it's a survey fatigue or the lack of trust. That's a great question, Amy. With a written survey, it could be difficult to interpret what someone is intending to say in their responses. So I think in general for engagement surveys, it's always good to start off with some education about the survey and what context the survey is in to foster that knowledge and, and understanding of what the survey is about and that we actually want an honest response. In terms of feedback you receive as an individual's manager verbally, 
the more you get to know your team members, the better you should be able to decipher honesty versus passive responses. So tone and body language, as well as enthusiasm, will be contributing to you deciphering whether something is passive or an honest response. In addition, knowing what's going on in people's personal lives and relating that back to work and what's going on in their work lives, as long as they've shared that with you previously and are comfortable with it and being approachable and personal, that will help employees not see you necessarily as their boss, but as someone they can relate to as well. Well said, Patty. You know, in, in order to decipher if your team members are truly fine or if they're just not really opening up and being honest, I, I totally, completely agree you really need to get to know your team. And how you do that, there's a variety of ways. You know, maybe it's through having regular one-on-ones with them. You know, but I will say there's there, there probably is a sweet spot with the number of direct reports that one has. And I think that's always probably been a challenge in healthcare with having a high number of direct reports compared to other industries, but that's probably a, a topic for another podcast. But I think the, the number of direct reports and the responsibilities of the leader based on, you know, within that organization, and their management structure that really can influence the ability of a leader to have routine and regular one-on-one interactions with teammates. And and if that's more challenging, then then we've got to find other ways to dedicate time to those interactions with our staff to get to know them. You know, Patty mentioned being able to, to really understand an individual's mood and their body language. I think it's all of those things that as you start to really get to know the folks on your team and what makes them tick, what motivates them, that's how you, that's how you filter through that. That's how you begin to understand it when you're asking somebody, hey, how are you doing today? Or what do you think about this new process? And uh, you know, if, if tr- folks truly do support it versus if they feel frustrated, I think the, the art to that is just investing in your people and, and really getting to know them. Um, you've got to pay attention. And, and most importantly, you've got to remember the details. I agree with both of you on this. I've had staff come up to me with concerns and problems, and they were more open to talk to me than some of the other members because I spent the time getting to know them and building that relationship. They felt comfortable talking to me, and it made me feel respected and more motivated to help. So how has your team's engagement impacted you to personally as a leader? So for me, I've had a few opportunities to learn from my experiences in my role and had an ability or an opportunity, I think is a better word, to reflect on some process management that I've, I've been a part of and really my team's engagement and, and feedback that, that I've received from them and how that's influenced me as a leader really has, has been my willingness to listen. I'm very, very fortunate that I have a, a team that has had a very high level of engagement. Folks are interested in quality and process improvement and change. And over time, that has really emphasized to me the importance of including the direct and frontline team, not only in major process changes, but also the minor things. First, disseminating ideas, allowing time for to marinate and for people to think about it, process, to share their feedback. It's, It's not just the major changes in our daily work that can create frustration or can alternatively build engagement. It's the minor things too. It's the day-to-day. And over time, as we continue to support those folks in our department's involvement in in what we're trying to change, again, minor or major, it's going to continue to build up that that engagement. So again, for me, in summary, it's, it's really influenced my willingness to listen and has really evolved, not just bringing the big things to the team for review, but, but even the small stuff too. I found that people really value that. 
I agree with Eric in terms of over time settling into your role and listening to your team and hearing all of the small things and the large things. And secondarily with that, I guess I would reflect as a manager, as the team is more engaged and they're sharing more ideas that are productive and solution-based, it helps the leader also become more engaged with the team. So it ends up playing off, like everyone ends up playing off of each other and engagement then breeds more engagement. I guess from a leader's perspective, you're always going to be thinking toward getting the team engaged. And that can be difficult, I guess, is what I would like to say and share. Um, And I've realized that over time. So you're the person that's, that's helping breed that engagement. But as you get things spinning, and as you're willing to listen, and problem solve with your team, engagement really breeds engagement, and it it becomes more positive um, for everyone involved. Patty and Eric, you guys are very perceptive towards your staff. Everyone wants to be heard, and I'm sure they appreciate your leadership and guidance. Earlier, we discussed the staff potentially hiding their true thoughts and feelings from the managers. What else do you think might be a concern from the frontline staff when they bring up problem to pharmacy leadership's attention? For example, again, lack of trust or confidence in them. Amy, that's a great question. I think one of the things over time I've noticed that that ends up being a topic of concern for some individuals is, is this change or concern I am bringing up going to create more work for me since I've brought it up? And that, I think, plays to the engagement breeds engagement, willingness to listen, willingness to work as a team um, and solve problems together should have leaders and the team work toward a common solution and shouldn't be perceived as more work for anyone involved. You know, and I always ask myself, what do the frontline team members, how do they feel when they bring a concern to a manager, to myself? And what if they don't always see the things that we work on behind the scenes? So what I mean by that specifically is let's, you know, hypothetical situation, a team member approaches you during a one-on-one, expresses some concerns around a colleague's performance. As a a leader, we take that information, we appreciate it, we look into it, we do some investigation, maybe some reporting, and, and perhaps that leads to a conversation with the individual who there were concerns brought up about. We don't always follow up with the individual who raised the concern, specifically around the corrective action that we might be you know, working through with another individual. While that might be the most appropriate approach from an HR and people management standpoint, I, I do always wonder if we're not following up with the kind of the originator individual, do they have a lack of trust because they have a lack of insight of what we're doing behind the scenes? I, I certainly hope not, but I think that they're probably is some concern there from the frontline staff if they don't know exactly what we're doing in response to concerns that they're raising. Thanks for the backstage insight to the manager's viewpoint. Switching gears to a manager's viewpoint, what concerns do you have as pharmacy leaders in regards to staff's preparedness and engagement on a successful rollout of implementing a new process? Do you worry they might not follow the new process when you're not around, perhaps not enough commitment, or if the effort will drizzle off with time? My concerns are not necessarily whether or not folks will follow the right process if I'm around or not. 
but it's more about the level of engagement and feedback that we can receive on the front end to gather folks review and modification and optimization of a of some form of a, a change or a new rollout on the front end. What I mean by that is, is for the communication of big changes, I feel that those need to be done in person rather than through some form of maybe electronic communication or email. For these major changes, it's very important to have to host Q&A sessions for review of an overall process change, allow time for the team to address and ask questions and formulate solutions to any key challenges or barriers that they uh, may perceive. These Q&A sessions are excellent at picking out the finer details that a manager may not be able to pick out on their own because we aren't necessarily in the operations every single day. And so that's, I think that's why it's so critical for me is to, to support a successful rollout. You know, a concern, a big concern that I would have is just making sure we have enough time to um, have all processes vetted. And, and I, again, I think that needs to, those likely need to be done in person uh, rather than through some form of an electronic communication. I agree with Eric. And I would like to add, in our department, we try to do something I've called an after action meeting uh, when a big change has rolled out so that everyone can check in and ensure that initially they were following a process correctly and they haven't changed workflow in any way or in changed workflow in different ways to work around a problem that they had been experiencing. Additionally, it gives the opportunity for a change in optimization period where the process can be vetted out with multiple people and decided on as a group what modifications need to be made. And then if I'm involved, which I would be, um, escalating anything that the staff might try to work around but really could be modified, um, whether it's a new system, and whether it's a new technology, whether it's a new process. The Q&A and after action meetings are a great idea to help promote staff engagement and to continue the process change. I've always found having an in-person session to be way more helpful for morale compared to email FAQs. Visibility and availability matters. What are some additional methods or techniques you use at your institution to alleviate concerns from leadership and to motivate frontline staff to take ownership in resolving their own daily hurdles? You know, Amy, I, I think this question switches gears a little bit away from the larger kind of big change, uh, more into the resolving of, of daily hurdles and daily challenges. For us here at Emory Healthcare, we have implemented a, uh, a daily organized process improvement huddle system where uh, it's a tiered system from the department level, which we call tier one. And it, it goes all the way up through tier two, three, four, and five, which are the, the highest senior levels of the organization. The goal of these huddles are to provide handoff and interdepartmental communication to outline challenges that we're experiencing or supply shortages that we're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is very motivating for frontline staff because they lead these huddles. They take the ownership and they uh, report out on what they're experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis. And if there is an issue that is raised that needs to be investigated or resolved, ownership is, is applied to that. And so this is a, a great way not only to have the frontline staff take ownership over the operations on a day-to-day -day basis of, of the department at that site, but it also equips them with the experience of 
creating solutions, thinking critically, which is a difficult skill set to develop, I think, for many people. And for us, it's been an opportunity to uh, help uh, grow and coach people into having some uh, strength in leadership skills. Cleveland Clinic and Emory have taken a play out of the same book because we have a very similar structure at Cleveland Clinic uh, where we have daily huddles as well in a tiered structure. We have it at the department level and it goes all the way up to executive leadership five days a week um, during the weekdays. So that has been very crucial to frontline staff uh, adapting and resolving their own daily hurdles every day. Initially, it was a hard process for everyone to get used to. Once the staff start seeing results, though, where they are problem solving every day and they have a standard workflow they're going through on a, on a daily huddle and they see that the problems that are brought up are escalated and resolved quickly in this process, it makes them more inclined to participate over time and it makes it much more of a habit. I think it's nice to have a structured process like the tiered huddles. It would be a very good tool for the leaders to avoid inconsistencies and no one to escalate the issues for the staff. Moving focus um, to the staff, why do you think it's crucial for frontline staff to take ownership of problems that occur during their work day? That's a great question, Amy. To me, the most important aspect of having the frontline staff problem solve and take ownership in these problems they're identifying is they know the work the best and they have seen multiple iterations of that problem or other scenarios so that they can often determine the best solutions. And we don't have to trial and error as much. They're also going to be those who trial and error. So they'll be able to develop those iterations over time. They're really the the, the team that's going to facilitate that work and be able to complete the best solutions. Patty, you're spot on. I tell my team here at Emory often, 80 to 90% of the time when an issue comes up, you're going to have an idea of a way to resolve it. And, and that 80 to 90% of the time, probably more 90% of the time, you're going to be right. And so I'm going to support you and have your back with whatever decision you make. It's probably the, the, the very few times that maybe the decision a frontline team member makes might not be the same path I would have taken it. And if that does happen, then we coach through it. We have a conversation, you know, what would we have changed differently? And and that's totally fine. I think the ability for the frontline staff to take ownership builds a lot of satisfaction within the day-to-day, you know, the workday and ongoing. People like to see things go well. They like to be involved in solutions. They like to see their influence in a process change work well because that builds up their confidence and it brings satisfaction to the work that they do. I think another reason why it's very important, I'll just put this out there for all the managers and leaders that might be listening to the podcast. I think that when you can support your frontline uh, team members to uh, to take on challenges uh, during the day-to-day, it does offload some of that work on the leader who, you know, we have a lot of other things that may not be totally transparent uh, to the frontline staff with meetings and whatnot. And so uh, I think that honestly, if, if we are trying to balance triaging through some of the day-to-day hurdles in alignment with our strategic initiatives. Uh, I just, I feel that that may lead to some delay in, in issue resolution compared to the frontline team member that might be able to resolve it in a much, in the moment, much in a much more timely manner. So I think, I think that that brings a lot of value into how we spend our time too. That makes sense. At least half of the content of a huddle is 
from the frontline staff and the issues they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's essential for our frontline team to speak up and take ownership to resolve these problems. Eric and Patty, what are some strategies that have been effective at engaging staff in the problem solving and maintaining consistent communication? Amy, I'm, I'm gonna speak to our, our change management and our huddle system again. I just think it's, it's so critical. It's been so useful down here in Atlanta. It really has helped build a culture of safety. It's created an environment for us where people can feel safe speaking up about challenges and issues that they're experiencing. Uh, so again, for us at Emory, it's, we call it our Empower Journey. This initiative is, is our daily tiered huddle where we focus on what we call the S-MESS. That stands for safety methods, equipment, supplies, and staffing. It's the focus of our 15 minute huddle that we have each morning. And again, the frontline staff are the ones leading through the daily huddles each morning. And it allows the front lines to review the standard expectations that we have for the day. We review patient volumes, any difficult doses, anything unique that might we might need to expect for that day. We can also anticipate concerns. What are the pinch points going to be during the day? And what can we do to stay ahead of those and, and resolve those issues in advance before they just sort of hit you in the moment? The resolution of issues that are again driven by the frontline team, I think furthermore sustains that culture of trust and accountability. Uh, again, it's it's the frontline team members, you know, incorporating their feedback and input into the solutions. It allows them to problem solve. It allows them to think critically and drive productivity forward. And if anything needs to be escalated to a higher tier, you know, tier two or to the, their leader, uh, that's the time for that to occur. But uh, the engagement of the staff in that problem solving, I think, uh, certainly helps to build that trust, accountability, and it helps to support ongoing communication between folks on our team. I really like how Emory has simplified the huddle structure to an acronym of SMS. Um, I think that that's a tool that, although we're in, we're in organizations where our institutions are doing a daily tiered huddle at many levels, I think that SMS that Eric has mentioned is something that a lot of other teams could translate into a daily huddle for their team. Eric, will you repeat what SMS stands for? Absolutely. So SMS stands for safety, methods, equipment, supplies, and staffing. And just to add a little bit more, it's uh, the, the concept of SMS as we run through it with our huddle, we sort of use that stoplight model, red light, green light, you know, green for good today, red, here's why, and speaking specifically to that topic area of what uh, challenges we foresee coming throughout the day. That's really cool. I would add that a strategy that we use alongside of our tiered huddle approach is we do, I love the word huddle, we do a weekly quality improvement huddle where we discuss quality improvement projects that are we are working on offline and tracking. And that is led by my team versus myself. They are discussing each of the projects that we have been facilitating and checking in with everyone on the team. Um, it gains accountability for the projects that are going on, and it really allows them to be involved in resolving all of those issues. So there are all these great methods you guys, you guys use to empower the staff and break down the communications barrier with the daily huddles. To make that even better, how do you motivate your team members to get more involved within the pharmacy department? 
How do you support these pharmacists and technicians that are willing to take on the extra responsibility? Amy, I'll jump in here. I, I think it's really important to call out that the traditional role for pharmacy technicians and pharmacists at one point, you know, it used to be very operational in nature, uh, but now both of these groups of, of professionals are taking on a lot more direct patient care, more clinical related activities. And so, so folks are really thriving and are asking for, how do I take on more responsibilities? What, uh, you know, what projects can I be involved in? How can I get my hands on more? I wanna be more engaged, I wanna learn more. And I think that's really exciting. I, I do my best here at Emory to try to incorporate both our technicians and our pharmacists into a lot of different types of what I'll classify as project opportunities. But some of those specific examples include when we add a new drug to formulary, which seems almost like every week here in the, the cancer world, we have our pharmacists in, uh, develop educational in-services to provide uh, clinical and operational education for our nurses and for our pharmacy teams about a new medication, how it was developed, what the studies show, where it's indicated, how it's prepared, what side effects and monitoring do we need to look for, um, and how is it administered? How is it prepared by the technicians? We include all of that type of information within these, these in-service education sessions. We've got our team members involved in audits, whether it's around sterile compounding compliance or hazardous drug safety and surface contamination, variety of quality improvement projects or regulatory projects, I strongly encourage individuals to be involved in, in data collection projects and, and poster presentations. And I think really to support that, you need to be able to have strong enough of a cross coverage plan or, or maybe a PRN pool to be able to, to provide some offline, some supported offline time for your folks to engage in these types of activities. That's really, I think is, is key. It's, it's starting to get kind of putting the, the clinical pharmacy specialist piece aside. They have a little bit more uh, time to spend on those types of projects, just traditionally speaking. But for the operations team, it's it's carving out time to begin to build their engagement into the, these types of clinical and operational initiatives too. I think those are great points, Eric. I completely agree that carving out some time in whatever way possible, whether it's a few hours a week or a few hours every month for individuals to be involved in projects or or facilitate meetings or participate in meetings um, is really essential to help their engagement as a whole. It's so wonderful that there are so many opportunities of teaching and learning at, at Emory Eric. I've recently seen a survey on LinkedIn saying the number one reason people leave their jobs is because of the lack of growth opportunities and challenges. That being said, many leaders and departments struggle with the high rate of employee turnover. This is oftentimes a sign of low employees engagement and satisfaction. What strategies have you used to reduce turnover and to promote employee career growth at your facilities? I could begin with responding to that question. I think one of the, the critical aspects for technicians and what I consider a technician shortage market, I at least in Northeast Ohio, we are experiencing less technicians in the pool of candidates as we have in the past. I think constant contact with your senior leadership about that shortage and ensuring that if it's necessary, that they are offered a competitive pay to the market and market assessments are done routinely. 
that doesn't necessarily give the individuals that are employed more growth opportunity, but hopefully that'll keep turnover at a minimum. To add to that, Patty, if organizations aren't in a position to do a market assessment for pay for your team, I think the departments of pharmacy need to strongly consider revamping and developing a career ladder and creating more robust job descriptions in that ladder for different levels of pay for pharmacy technicians to escalate into. And then in addition to that, find opportunities where technicians and or pharmacists can carve out a unique niche of practice where it can be a position that they can grow into. Maybe it's somebody who oversees controlled substance coordination or automation and technology, inventory, sterile compounding or other areas uh, so that we can sort of force career advancement opportunities into our systems. I will call out that I think the most difficult turnover group is, is probably technicians. And I think in order to continue to support their engagement within our departments, you, you probably need to have routine tech team meetings to hear out their concerns, to create initiatives that support their work-life balance that help prevent their burnout. Because if, you know, if we are, are not able to be as successful on the compensation side of things, what can we do to support their paid time off and ensure that we're not denying vacation requests? Uh, how can we provide cross coverage? And again, I spoke to this very early on in the podcast, but how can we identify those quick wins to make their work lives when they're here in, in, in the hospitals easier? What will make their processes more efficient? And we need to strongly consider those things to help prevent burnout because our technicians are a major part of our workforce and uh, they're just such an important uh, piece of the pharmacy puzzle. Those are great ways to show support and, and try to keep your talent in-house. That's all the time we have today. I want to thank Eric and Patty for joining us today to discuss practical strategies for improving staff engagement and daily communication. Find more member-exclusive content, including resources for self-development, leading pharmacy enterprises and teams, and practice management on the ASHP website. Thank you for joining us and be sure to subscribe to the ASHP official podcast. Thanks so much, Amy. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.